Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Hello, Kirk. Hey there, Sheldon. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, except for one thing. What? I had to fill up my van with gas. Oh, did you have to take out a second mortgage? Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. I, I'm hearing they're going to start delivering gas to the gas stations using Brinks trucks, armored uh, you know, vehicles. Well, they can't do it by pipeline. So no, yeah, no, those aren't allowed. No. Um, and before we get too political here, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite interesting seeing uh, Putin is to blame for all this, though everything. He's now the yeah, uh, he's now the scapegoat for absolutely every political decision that's been made yeah. uh, in the last thirty years. So that is um, a principle of politics. It is true that sometimes you can see multiple train wrecks about to occur and just at the right moment, some scapegoat shows up and you can just put it all on that. Not, not to say that Putin's not responsible for anything. He is, mm -hmm. but, but there's a lot of train wrecks we're on our, we're on our way to that uh, we're going to happen regardless. Yep. Uh, I like to say the buck stops over there. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so what's going on over in uh, Kirk Durston land? I, I noticed your background has changed. Uh, I believe that's uh, just yeah. so you have better internet. Um, nice of you to buy a new house just for better internet. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, you can actually see the background today and you can see my face. It's not just a blurry mess. And the reason for that is I'm over at my son's place. I took one look at last week's uh, live stream and I thought, wow, my eyes hurt just trying to watch this. So uh, here I'm doing it here, but hopefully by next week I'll have a faster, uh, a higher bandwidth over the, at my house. So we'll see if that actually occurs. So do you want to explain what you're getting? Because it is pretty cool. Well, yeah, I'm getting uh, Elon Musk Starlink. Um, I put my name in sometime last year, a long time ago, paid a deposit. And then I got a notice, uh, I guess about a month ago saying, well, they're ready to ship. And uh, so just had to pay the rest of whatever it was to get the receiver. And it's arriving tomorrow, according to the uh, tracking number. That's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, getting mm -hmm. the cutting edge satellite internet. As long as Putin doesn't shoot them all down. Um, I think we should be okay for a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting what could happen, but I'm reserving my judgment on this Starlink until I actually have it up and running. I mean, when you get to be my age, you've seen way too many disappointments to get all hyped up about something before you've actually tried it out. So mm -hmm. we'll see. I, I was thinking this morning, he, he had, he used a term on Twitter quite a few times, um, now it's slipping my brain, but, uh, uh, basically, uh, non-optimal, I believe was his response when one of his, uh, rockets would land 
uh, upside down or blow up or uh, something. Well, that's a non-optimal entry. Uh, so I'm just hoping you're, you have optimal uh, internet service uh, when you get that satellite. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, we'll see. Awesome. Well, today um, we are going to talk about uh, something uh, pretty simple. It should be pretty simple. Um, the supernatural beginning of the universe. Um, I believe it's all been solved, scientifically proven. Um, how the universe started, it's what people have been trying to figure out for, uh, well, basically since uh, people stopped uh, believing in uh, God. And so uh, we've had a lot of um, different theories. Um, we talked about what some of the, uh, some of the science um, only know such thing as supernatural. You're materialists. Uh, some of the reasons that uh, they might be wrong from a logic perspective and um and basically what I've been trying to figure out is how do you how do you set this up? So if you believe there's no such thing as the supernatural, everything is nature. Energy is nature, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, energy is a component. Time, Space, time, matter, and energy. Time, matter, energy. Mm-hmm. Time. So yep. all of those things uh, were just there. Uh, time was there before time. Um, the material was there. Matter was there before matter was there. And well, the problem is, is that they energy weren't. was there before energy was there. And yeah. then it all so, just boom, magic. Yeah. So they would say, well, no, there was no space, time, matter, and energy before space, time, matter, and energy exists, except they want to come up with a natural explanation. Well, it so happens that all natural explanations require space, time, matter, and energy. So as you have just pointed out, we suddenly have a problem here because you have to postulate natural processes before natural processes come into existence in order to explain how natural processes came into existence. Now, that is violates the law of non-contradiction. It's blatantly circular. And uh, so I find that a lot of materialists at that point just say, well, I'm happy not knowing. And uh, that actually doesn't work because, well, there's two options here. Okay, you're happy not knowing. Um, Why is that? Like, what about logic? Logic can be used. Logic can actually show you, shed some light on this question. And when you do it, you'll find that, well, logically, there's only two explanations for the origin of nature. One is natural, one is supernatural. Those are the two, where supernatural is anything not dependent on space, time, matter, and energy. Natural is everything that is. But just as a woman can't give birth to herself, so nature could not have brought itself into existence for exactly why what we just talked about. Therefore, you only have two options, and one option is logically impossible. The other option has to be necessarily true. And we are inevitably and inexorably driven by cold, hard logic to concede that there is actually a supernatural foundation and origin to the universe. At that point, many materialists say, whoop, 
And it's kind of like a, they opened a door to a room and say, oh, I, you know, I don't, I'm not seeing this. Close the door. And then they say, I'm happy not knowing what's in this room. So it's basically just response, living in denial. It's denial. It's denial of what logic entails. That's what it is. And so it's basically just saying, I don't, I don't, I, I, I normally like logic. In fact, I, a lot of people pride themselves as being rational thinkers and logical thinkers until logic starts pointing towards the supernatural origin of the universe. At that point, uh, we, it just like, we don't see that. That's, we're not going to look there. We're going to just live with our heads in the sand on that one. And so the interesting question at that point is, well, why? What is it that brings you to the point of denying logic, of actually uh, turning your back on it when it points to something you obviously don't want to believe? So now the real question is, why is it that you don't want to believe in the existence of the supernatural? Of course, so supernatural before we get into that, though, Kirk, let's, let's give people the opportunity, if we're wrong, if Kirk has no idea what he's talking about, he's had his head buried in the sand, he's missed a couple of studies that have come out explaining there is a natural beginning, um, please dump it in the comments. We'll look at it, and uh, we'll, we'll address it in another stream or even in this one. But um, use those comments. Tell us why we're wrong. Uh, we love those. Um, but give some, give some background uh, to what is uh, causing you to think of this. Otherwise, it looks like denial, which um, which is fine. It's okay to deny it, um, but it does bring up uh, consequences in the future if uh, if there is consequences to denial. So, um, mm -hmm. well, I think there, there's a couple different ways we, we can take this, Kirk. Uh, without bringing up the Bible, what are the options? for a supernatural beginning to the universe. Like we don't use the Bible to prove a supernatural mm -hmm. beginning, but w what are the different things that uh, people have uh, said could be a supernatural beginning to the universe? Uh, <laughs> well, that could get very vague. And, and I think people are vague because this idea of a supernatural is kind of like a big box and we're not entirely clear on what's in the box. But I would say there are some helpful things we can do to try and at least narrow down what might be in the box. Like in general, people will then say, well, we have um, some sort of creator. And that can be for many different religions, uh, but a very vague on you know, where, where did you, what, what do you mean by the creator? What characteristics are you just going to make up characteristics? Or, you know, how do we know? The other main option is to say it's, I guess the two main options that I see are is that this, the supernatural origin and foundation for the universe is either intelligent or it's not intelligent. In other words, it's actually got a mind or it doesn't have a mind. Um, and now it becomes really problematic to come up with an explanation as to how something with no mind is going to bring the universe into existence. That, uh, and there is no, there are no good arguments out there. I've, I, people don't even, the best that they do 
or maybe a physicist like Lawrence Krauss, for example, will say, well, we got the universe from sort of nothing, uh, but yet it's not completely nothing at all. And basically it's kind of like a, um, an unstable form of nothing that because of quantum gravity and so forth. And there's a lot of theoretical concepts that he will put on the table that are not testable and say, you know, and then therefore we got the universe. But when you actually go to look at it, there's, it still requires physics, some sort of physics to do it. And in order to be unstable, even though he say time is not required, you have to have some other variable in there that takes the place of time because you can't, unstability means that it has the possibility of being like this or like that or changing its state. You can't change states if there's no time involved, no, no dynamic variable in there. So we won't go down that road. It's been, I think, debunked by none other than Nature. The, the Nature, which is one of the most prestigious science journal in the world, has, has had a couple of articles on, look, we, we got to reel this in here where people are just making stuff up that we can't test. It's science fiction. At best, it's philosophy of science. It's not to be confused with science. But uh, he never has an explanation as to where these physics are going to come from and where this dynamic instability of, not, of so-called nothingness. No, no explanation for that. So it really doesn't solve anything. We're still back to the question, what is this? And supernatural, keep in mind, and this is where some materialists begin to squirm, is anything that's not dependent on space, time, matter, and energy. And that includes... For example, maybe the axioms of logic and mathematics itself, but those things can't do anything. They just kind of sit there. They're only useful to minds, actually. So if we have something in this world that's non-physical, axioms of logic and mathematics, you have to start asking, where did those come from? Because they're only useful to minds. Well, the best explanation, perhaps, is that this supernatural something that's out there that brought nature into existence must be a mind because it then would explain why we have consciousness in this universe and why we have things like axioms of logic that can only be used by minds. It also explains maybe why we have some sort of ultimate moral standard that's only, again, useful to minds. So there are some pretty good arguments that the supernatural foundation of nature is itself a mind. But yeah, there's I, I even was, a better one. Oh, uh, I, I was just thinking on uh, as I was uh, trying to figure out some questions to ask you today to make myself look smart. Um, if you don't have time in, in the process, um, you can sort of say uh, that energy and uh, matter were always there. You can sort of say that, and then um, you, your your Big Bang um, or that initial dispersion of particles are out there, but you whatever invents time then becomes a issue to the science because. Like what created time? Mm -hmm. It has to be timeless. It has to be timeless. You cannot, for the same reason a woman cannot give birth to herself. Uh, 
something dependent upon time cannot actually bring time into existence because there's no time for it to depend upon for its own existence and therefore nothing will ever happen. Now, I, it's, I, I don't, just to clear one thing up there, uh, the problem is you can't even have mat matter and energy, mass and energy without time because they have time built into them as well. And, and here's just a simple example. Uh, everybody's probably heard of Einstein's famous equation, E equals MC squared. That equation actually tells you how much energy mass contains. So if you take a pound, I take this, you take this thing here, this weighs a certain amount. If you totally converted this into energy right now, well, I haven't crunched the numbers, but you would have a release of energy that would probably blow a good chunk of the planet in, into nothingness. Just this one calculator. That's how much energy is locked up in, ma in mass. But there's this little C squared on the end. C squared is the speed of light squared, and there's time involved in that. It's a velocity, meters per second, you know, so you, and you got that squared. So that, I just wanted to say that in case there were any physicists listen, say, hey, how do you get matter and energy if you don't have time? They might call me on that. I just want to point out it all is interdependent on time. And if you look at the laws of physics, they always got time in them. But now back to the more important question that you raised. What about the thing that caused time itself? And this is beautiful. This is beautiful because we have a problem. Uh, if you ask me where did this uh, this uh, smartphone come from, I would say, well, it was actually made in a factory in, um, I think it's made in China. And you'll say, okay, well, let's go to the factory. And you'll notice, oh, wait a sec, they're using stuff to make this smartphone with. Where did that stuff come from? And where did the factory come from? And so you would say, well, the stuff is actually this. It came from here and that mine over there. And it was uh, and here and there. And the, you get into where did this come from or what caused that? And for everything, every step in the process, the question can always be raised. Well, then where did that come from? And you just keep going further and further back. In fact, our science is based on the where did that come from or what caused that? That's the fundamental question. One of the fundamental questions that our whole system of science is based upon. It's not a problem. It's just motivation to go deeper. But well, and, and how is, many trillions of dollars are spent trying to figure this out? Exactly. I mean, it's a legit area of research. Where did this come from? And so the problem is, is when you get back to the origin of time, so you trace everything back. How, and ultimately, if you trace this far enough back, you will wind up at the origin of the universe because it's made out of matter and energy and whatever. And then you say, well, okay, where did that come from? And we talked about that last week and reviewed it today. You know, it's got to have a non-natural beginning. But what we did not talk about is the question, well, where did that supernatural cause of nature come from? It's a legit question. But I want to point out two things. Number one, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins, Dawkins asked this all the time, thinking that he has just refuted this idea that, that some, something supernatural created the universe. No. In fact, the question actually concedes that there was a supernatural origin. And now our problem is, where did that supernatural cause of the universe come from? So that, I want to point that out first.
And and that's why I started. What I wanted to start without saying we have a specific being or uh, something in mind. Even having this mm-hmm. discussion, we're not we're not saying uh, the God of the universe is the only explanation ever given for this. There may be mm-hmm. other things out there, but now you have to logically examine those those. Yeah. Um, those theories and when we and when we do we're finding we're converging on the intuitive notion of of a creator that's held across many civilizations around the world but we're not starting with that you know starting with the idea of god what we're doing is we're just using cold hard logic here saying hey maybe there's and this this there's some the, we haven't derived the mind yet. We've just suggested one reason to think that it is a mind simply because it does explain where the axioms of logic come from and why we have consciousness in this universe. But there's an even, there's another compelling reason to believe that there's a mind behind the universe, which I'll get to in a moment. But I just want to finish off this time problem. Now, the thing is, is that the cause of nature, including time, must be able to exist independent of time. The moment you have such an entity, you have reached the end of that progression that kept going back and back and back because a timeless entity has no big temporal beginning in front of which to put a cause. It's, it's, it's simply always there and using always in a timeless meaning of the word. It's just either always there or never there. And so to ask the idea what caused the creator of time is actually makes makes a large mistake it implies there was it's possible to have some sort of a cause for something that exists in a timeless eternal state and now i want to point out we just didn't make this up we just didn't say oh let's say the supernatural origin of the universe is, is timeless and eternal and therefore it's logically impossible to have a cause We've arrived at the first cause. No, we just didn't make that up. I want to point out that logic dictated that the cause of time must be timeless and eternal. It cannot depend upon time for its existence. So the Dawkins question, what caused God? Now he's talking about God specifically. We're talking about the supernatural more generally. What caused the supernatural cause of the universe? It's logically impossible to have a cause. You have reached the end of the causal chain all causal chains they all converge there to this timeless eternal uh supernatural foundation for reality now my brain can't really understand what that could look like (laughs) because i've only known time I've only known this universe that's been here since long before I was born. Can somebody, can somebody's mind actually comprehend what timeless is? And I'm just making up questions here that are coming to my head. So if, if I'm going beyond um, something that you want to deal with today, that's fine. But I'm, I'm just, uh, wondering, like, how it, does logic work in a timeless space? 
Um, I don't think it does because then I have an excuse. No, there's no change of anything in a timeless state and logic is a way to arrive at conclusions um, through a process of thinking, but there's no time to think. Now you could shorten the thinking time up, but even then um, you still took in some time to do it. Rather, I would say that the axioms of logic come out of this timeless supernatural origin this foundation for reality. So you don't say, does it use logic as if there's something else out there also called logic and the supernatural foundation of the universe used logic, looked over there and says, hey, let's use that or whatever. No, you, when you converge at this foundation of reality, you're converging on something from which come logic axioms of mathematics, axioms of morality or perfection, axioms of justice, space, time, matter, and energy, all these things. So uh, what would a timeless state look like? I, I would say you can imagine a, a looking, you come to a door in a building and you look into that door, there's a window in it, and nothing ever happens in that room. Nothing has ever happened Nothing is happening and nothing ever will happen in that room. I think then I have one of those weirder. rooms in my basement. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's what happens sometimes in meetings. Sometimes in meetings. My kid's doing their homework. Yeah. A long lecture. And so, but it gets weirder because in that room, that room, the, something in that room is supposed to have caused everything outside the room where lots of stuff is happening. And that gets into the nature of time itself. Um, I'm not sure we should, maybe I'll just say something briefly about time. There's two ways to look at it. One is it's a physical thing that actually elapses. And so even if nothing is happening, time is still ticking. But there's another way, and I'm speaking very much in layman's terms here. There's another way that time doesn't actually elapse. Time is really measured by events. So um, in, in an event measurement type of looking at time, you look at it and say there's a cup of coffee on the table. You come back in a thousand years time and you still see the cup of coffee on the table. And uh, you would have to say, well, in my way of measuring time, a thousand years of its lapse, but looking into this world here where they only measure time in terms of events, no time whatsoever has elapsed. And then the next time, let's say three million years later, you come back and you see that the cup of coffee has lifted off the table like one nanometer. Well, that's an event. And so you can say, um, no time has elapsed in this room, but we do have something uh, that, but we do have a progression in time in terms of one event. Now, I only say that because it comes relevant to how God views time because he makes it real clear that he does not measure time in terms of how much elapses. He actually comes right out and states that about as clear as you could, could state that in, in the Bible itself. But now I'm getting too fast. Uh, I'm getting too God. Yeah, let's, let's not bring up the Bible because uh, yeah, we don't want to get into yeah. that. 
Um, well, we don't want to be accused of being religious here. Yeah. <laughs> although, well, although yet. logic is going to show we got to, yeah, yeah. yeah. Logic is going to inexorably lead us to uh, something. But the question okay, so, is what... so something's creating time, something's creating these concepts. Creating an environment within which events can occur. I tend to lean towards measuring time in terms of events, but there's so many events happening that it looks like um, a smooth elapsing of time. But if you actually look between the events, there's nothing happening. So that's so why that the way. cup of coffee that tastes like it's been there for a thousand years was actually only created a half hour ago. Well, actually, if it doesn't taste as good now as it did when it was created, then there have been some events occurring. Okay. Probably heat loss, a lot of events, a lot of emotional molecules. But there's a problem, and that is we observe the universe appears to be incredibly fine-tuned to support life. In other words, there seems to be a purpose for the universe. And the moment you start talking about that looks like a purpose for the universe, you're now talking about something that really... You're, you're, you're assuming the existence of a mind as that supernatural cause because only minds have reasons and purposes and plans. And so there is very strong evidence that the cause of the universe, the supernatural cause of the universe is not just some sort of mindless state of affairs out there that can't make anything happen because it can't think about anything, but a mind that can actually... Um, design the universe for the purpose of, of supporting life. That's huge. So we have a couple of different reasons, just using logic and, and science. Now we're starting to use science when we, because when we observe the universe is apparently incredibly fine-tuned to support life, we're taking our observations and knowledge of physics and theoretical physics now. The things we've learned about nature, and when we study nature, we start finding out, whoa, like this, we did these fine structure constants, for example, for the universe, they could have been pretty much anything. What a stroke of luck that they're this incredibly fine tuned. And so a colleague of Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking by the name of Roger Penrose has published some calculations on just how likely it is it that you would get a universe that's capable of supporting life. He's not worried about getting this particular universe. Um, he's worried about any kind of universe at all that'll support life, and that's important. Okay, can we define? Some... Can we define life? Is is that uh, because if if you look at just like the planet Mars, mm -hmm. it has a little bit of sand on it. Is sand life? Well, that's a that's an issue, and that's a, that's controversy in science. Like, what is the definition of life? And um, some people would say, well, it should be self-replicating, uh, should be able to uh, use the resources of its environment to sustain itself and replicate itself. That would be one kind of basic definition of life. Uh, viruses, for example, some people argue, well, that's not really life because it can't really replicate itself. It depends upon a host to get itself replicated. It's got to invade a cell and then uses the cell's machinery replication to copy it, to tra translate its DNA into RNA and then trans or transcribe it into 
RNA and then translated into proteins and then they assemble to build a new virus. So life itself, but when they talk about life, they're talking about what, what's like, let's get real general, like oh, the sky's the limit for what we're talking about life. Could you have like we're carbon based life? Could you have silicon based life or, and what's involved in life? Like you probably would need stars, for example, or some planet for it to live on. We're talking very general here. And when you start looking to find structure constants the universe, you realize that if you tweak this just the tiniest amount, the universe would just collapse on itself. You wouldn't even have time for life to live and replicate. Or if it's a little of the other direction, it just explodes and you never get any planets or stars. And so this is why Roger Penrose, colleague of Hawking, published some numbers and he says the chance of getting any kind of universe at all capable of supporting life is one chance in 10 raised to the 10 raised to the well, I forgot the number. I think it's 157th power or something. It's some ridiculous, it's three-figure number, 120 or 122nd, 127th or 150, something like that. Well, that number uh, basically is, is, we don't even have names for numbers that big. We just use 10 to the 10 to the 127th power, let's say. It is, it's kind of like, if you multiply, if you have 10 to the second power, that's 10 multiplied by itself two times. That's 100. 10 to the 10th power would be a one with 10 zeros after it. That's 10 to the 10th power. But when you have another exponent on top of that, you've got to take that third exponent and multiply the second exponent by itself that many times. So it's like 10 multiplied by itself 120 some odd times, which would be a one with um, basically, uh, let's say it's 10 to the 127th power. Uh, don't quote me on this, no, because I haven't refreshed my memory on that number. It's in the three figures. So you basically have 10 raised to a 1 with 127 zeros after that. So you have to take this 10 and multiply it by itself that many times. And that's the chance of getting any kind of universe at all capable of supporting life, which is so absurdly ridiculous. Somebody has to start saying, I think somebody's manipulating the system here. What's going on here? Like, I mean, it, if you see your neighbor winning the lottery every single week, year after year, you don't say, wow, that guy's pretty lucky. No, a rational person would say there's something going on here. And so when we look at the universe, it is so incredibly fine-tuned to support life we have have to ask the question, there's something going on here. And if it's designed, that suggests there is a super mind, a super intellect behind the universe. And so we're not talking about impersonal mindless forces anymore. We're talking about a being that matches the general definition of God throughout history, some sort of an, a personal or intelligent creator of the universe that actually created it for a point to support life. And therefore, life itself must have some sort of meaning to it. So the, the number I'm seeing here is 123rd time. That so sounds right. 10 to 10, One, two, three. I'll have to remember that. Yeah, I'll have to remember that. Now, what computer did he use to figure that out? Like, I'm assuming it was just um, what would it look like and then doing a guess at the end here. But um, Well, it's, it's not that 
So what you do is you just take all the different factors that are required for nature that we observe in nature. And we say, well, okay, let's take the fine structure constant. And what is it? And then what could it be? And you'll find there's a whole spectrum of possibilities. Let's say it goes from zero to some massively large number. Okay, so what would you need it to be? What's the range that you'd need it to be within in order for that one thing to, to make the universe possible? And you find it has maybe this much range. Okay, well then how many times does that go into the much larger set of possibilities? And you can come up with a number. And that's only one factor. And so say the probability will fall in that range is, is this much out of that much. Then you take all the other ones, do the same thing, and then you have to have all of them come true to get the universe. So you have to multiply them all together. Now, already you're starting with very tiny numbers. And when you're starting with very tiny fractions all multiplying themselves together, then you get, you get real tiny real fast. And that's how Penrose gets such an astonishingly small number. So it reminds me, I think it was Ace Finn, um, uh in the movie Dumb and Dumber. Um, it was like, oh, so you're saying there's a chance and, um, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> one in a million. Oh, you're, so you're saying there's a chance and yeah, yeah. So, okay. So let's say there's a chance that mm-hmm. it's a small chance, but mm-hmm. for this universe to occur, well, it obviously has occurred. So we hit that one mm-hmm. in, uh, 10 to the 10 to 123rd. Um, could that have happened without? Um, so that's just the universe supporting life. It's not actually creating life at this point, is it? No, that's just the create, uh, talk about a universe. Like it's kind of like, what's the chances of getting some glass and little pump and stuff so that you could actually support an aquarium? where fish could live. It's got nothing to do, the fish aren't in the aquarium. It's just, we need an aquarium. And let's go out in the bush and just ramble around randomly to see if we can find, you know, how nature might have accidentally produced one. It could, you know, in theory, but the numbers are very small, but there is a chance, as you say. The chance is, is so close to zero, there's nothing else in science that is smaller than that chance. So the question is, well, okay, could we invoke that then? Could we just got lucky? Well, if that was the only option on the table, then you, you could, well, that's the only option on the table. So therefore, we got incredibly lucky. But it's not the only option on the table. We have some other option on the table. Well, first of all, we know there's a supernatural, we know logically that it has to be a supernatural cause. So now it's a matter of saying, did this supernatural thing get incredibly lucky or does it have a mind that planned to, to design the universe to support life? And so what we can do is we can go back to our normal everyday life here and we could pick anything like the handy cell phone that I've been using this hour. We could say, well, you know, there is a chance that nature could have randomly assembled this through natural processes and lightning strikes and, you know, uh, Buffalo taking a dump on the prairie, you know, all these things mixed together and you get your cell phone. There is a chance, 
But in real life, we look at something like that and say, yeah, but there is another possible explanation as well. And that is intelligent mind behind this that designed it and built factories to produce it and so forth. So now we're faced with two options and we have to look at ourselves, which is more probable that you would get something like this cell phone. Option one, massive stroke of luck in nature. Option two, that there's an intelligent mind designed it and put a factory together and built it. Well, we know that, and you can actually crunch numbers on this. We know that once you have an intelligent mind involved, you can achieve things that are astonishingly improbable in nature. And you can achieve that with ease, with a very high degree of probability. And that's why it's not the, well, there's a chance is going to cut it especially if the option of, a, of an intelligence or a super intelligence behind the universe is also on the table. And that's why I think the most rational thing to do is number one, say an intelligent entity designed this and with a larger system, an intelligent entity, entity fine tuned the universe to support life. So I, before we just, say intelligent mind i, I want to go back because I, I think there are some people that will say the big being was created by some supernatural force and then evolution created life mm -hmm. well that that's a whole nother we got to talk about that sheldon but some of the arguments I've just given weigh heavily on that one as well. Because when we look at life, which we haven't really discussed at all, I mean, the actual, how do you get life in the aquarium? We've just worried about where, how do I get this aquarium? Once we got the aquarium, then our worry is how do we get fish in it? And it's the same with the universe. Once we got the universe up and running, how do we get life in it? But when we look at life, we observe that the genomes of life contain digital information, not just digital words, so to speak, but whole digital sentences, digital instructions on how to assemble fish and human beings and flowers. And so we can look at that digital information. We can actually crunch the numbers and we have peer reviewed papers that supply the equations to do that. And when we do that, we find that the probability of getting life even a simple protein, an average protein anywhere in the universe is so small, you will never hope to achieve that in the history of the universe before the stars burn out. That's, the that's just looking at the information. Where do we get the information for this? So we have two options. We can say, like Eugene Koonin did, we have an infinite number of universes, and there that explains it. Or we actually know what can write computer code and what can write words and sentences. We can't, oh, okay, like, but you're, you're getting too far ahead here, Kirk. I, I just want to make sure that the people are watching this that mm -hmm. might agree with, was it Kunitz? Um, uh, Kunin, Eugene Kunin. So, so Kunin says infinite number of universes. Mm -hmm. um, one, uh, just the word infinite has problems. I think we discussed that before. There are problems with that. Uh, but let's just say one... Let's just say it happened on the first 10,000th universe. It would have to not only hit the one 
that was capable of supporting life, which was one or 10, one to the 10th, to the 10, to the 123rd. Mm-hmm. And then it would have to have enough time to um, create that life. So mm-hmm. just those two things have to happen perfectly to make this happen yeah. without any intelligent yeah, planning. Them. That's right. There are so uh, people people don't really appreciate the probabilities that are involved here. And those who do sometimes if they're hardcore materials, just get angry because it's kind of like talking to a person that's deeply religious and you just point out, Hey, did you know that your God actually uh, wasn't a God? It was like, we found it was a guy dressed up in a sheet or something. Yep. Well, some people will be appalled. Other people get angry. And I find that's the case of the materialists when they run into this, the probabilities. But they are cold, hard, peer-reviewed. Uh, there really is the, the noose is tightening around materialism to say we just got lucky. And then, okay, so let's just say we got lucky. Um, but then it was all particles anyway. Mm-hmm which means there's no such thing as logic. Yeah. Like logic is, uh, is illusory. So Uh, even just coming up with the idea of all these particles happening through a supernatural means, Mm -hmm. big bang happens. Particles just happen to line up perfectly to support life. Mm -hmm. And then logic happens. Or the ability to well, think happens. Yeah. Well, logic and well, the ability it, it, to think, we already talked about that. It's really useless when it's just a bunch of particles anyway. Uh, and when you really try to take a purely materialistic explanation of the world and all the things we see in it, I it, and if somebody actually tries to come up with a story, it starts sounding like the story that, it, say, a 12-year-old might give his parents the next morning as to why it was there he snuck out all well it looks like he snuck out all night and was over at his friend's house doing bad things and then he's trying to explain though that's not actually the case and then making stuff up out of his back pocket on the fly to try and it just gets worse and worse he digs himself in a worse hole and that is what happens with materialism when you start trying to explain you find out oh we just don't have to explain the universe here that's bad enough but we got to explain how the information got encoded in life. We have to explain why it is that we can think when we're in fact not thinking and you're not allowed to think. Well, coming up with the explanation if you're materialist because that's cheating because there's no such thing as thinking. And you just find out that you're going down a rabbit hole that makes Alice in Wonderland look like Mm -hmm. everyday, orderly, good stuff. So... Again, if you're a materialist and you're listening to this and you're saying, well, you're wrong, uh, tell us why. Um, I, would love to, I would love to read that. I would love to know what we are missing here. Because I will admit, I'm not the smartest person here. Um, well, none of us are. 
Although so, there's only two of us here. At <laughs> well, uh, I'm just saying you're smarter. Um, I don't think so. So I'm pretty sure you are. Uh, you got a lot more degrees than I do. And it, it, there would be like a to, a one to the 10th <laughs> to the 123rd chance of me getting the same degrees you do. Um, but I, I just wanted to point out again, like we're not just making the stuff up. No. We're using logic principles of science, math, physics mm -hmm. to explain what created the universe. And so yep. if we're missing something, please tell us. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think we can, we can basically say the supernatural start to the universe that then led to a purely materialistic um, flow to life and where we are today, the chances of that happening are so small that we can say it didn't happen. It's irrational. Let's put it that way. One would have to th take their brains, open the window and give them a heave as far as they could. It's just, it's just flat out not only irrational, but it is a strong indicator of denial. Mm. When there's another option on the table, there's a massive elephant in the room and people just, you know, are, they don't want to see it. And, and again, and if, if you're denying it because you, you cannot wrap your mind around the fact that this happened, that's your choice. But beware if there's consequences to that choice you're choosing them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and that's the thing. It's just not, there's consequences. Okay. So let's, let's talk about an intelligent creator, something out mm -hmm. there at the beginning, before time existed, before materials existed, before matter existed, I should say, and before energy existed created all this stuff the room that is in my basement where nothing ever happened has a being in it that starts the universe what does that look like <laughs> oh man i mean <laughs> that's like asking a mushroom to explain microchips <laughs> like i don't there's so much i like there's a point where we say okay logic brings us this far but now let's get into the details and then we begin to realize that we're dealing with a super intelligence here we're dealing with something that can crunch billions of equations each with billions of variables and do it all instantly like we don't have the, the, our computers will never reach that computational capacity so that but one that one, one I, to the 10 to the 132nd or 123rd mm -hmm. um, that intelligent that intelligence needs to know how to do that yeah it's not just coming up with um you know here's here's your raw materials build a universe no you've got to get the raw materials to build that universe with and those raw materials have to be such that down the road in that universe, you're going to have, say, carbon atoms that are going to be essential for life that when they form compounds can can have different angles, phi and psi angles in those things to 
make different shapes and you're going to have to and, and that alone is a massive problem to compute to figure out when we're trying to figure out protein structure and it just gets it just gets completely to say it's computationally intensive would be an understatement it get, becomes intractable so fast that you have to say wait a sec we're we're dealing with something so much more intelligent than than our our human intelligence or even what we can do computationally that this is orders of magnitude this is a whole nother level of super mind here that we're dealing with but what i like to do is i like to uh, in my conversations with people it is it looks like we're going to hit a wall here and it's just a hit a wall of sheer like it's kind of like somebody putting a book uh, on our desk at this thick and it's just one gigantic equation and they say you got three seconds to solve this don't even bother but there is a shortcut around it and so i'd like to propose the shortcut in that we can ask the question if the universe is designed to support life and obviously we're life and we're pretty intelligent life when we look around the planet we're i mean there's other animals that are much better at certain things than we are that's true dogs are smelling for example and so we tend to underrate other animals in certain senses but one thing we do know we're the only animal on the planet that really makes amazing stuff that's way beyond what normal animals can do so the question is has this super intellect if the purpose is life what is that purpose and what is the purpose regard to us and has that super intellect the creator of the universe ever interfaced with humanity has it ever contacted us for example what would that contact look like um one nice way to contact us i mean when you can look at all the different ways super intelligence could contact us there is one way that uh, often comes up in science fiction you'll have for example some alien being that comes to earth and they have this way of morphing their physiology so they look like they're human and they walk among us and they do this and that so that's an option on the table even in fantasy you'll have beings that appear as humans so the question is has the super intellect the super mind that created the universe and that is timeless and eternal ever made contact with us in the form of say walking among us so we could say has history has anybody ever in history claimed to be god <laughs> yeah actually there's uh, okay there, well, let's let's stop here because I, th I think we are uh we're going into something that's going to take a little more, bit more time yeah, to yeah, we really get into more time. but be, before we we say that for sure that a supernatural being that created the universe created life created life as we know it and see it and can think um there's a couple options here they create it all just to see what happens and they're sort of just watching it's like an ant farm in the house. You can, uh, it's, it's decorative. <laughs> it's just to, just to, maybe there's two of these super intelligent lives that are just proven to each other. Hey, I can do this. I can do this. Like there, there's, there's a concept here where they don't care what happens in our lives. Mm -hmm. 
it's okay to believe that. Well, as long as there's no consequences for being wrong, but if there are consequences for being wrong, it is, it's what we call in philosophy, a logical possibility, what you've just described. It is a logical possibility uh, that there's any number of possible options. And that kind of raises the question of whether, well, how many gods might be out there? You know, maybe there's a whole pile of them and they're all doing different things. And, mm-hmm. and at that point, I say, look, um, I mean, there's a way to reason that maybe there's only one simply because there's no time. And so even if there was a pile of gods out there, there's no way to communicate with each other because there's no time or anything. Uh, but I use Occam's razor. Why do we need to start, you know, coming up with a huge pile of gods here when one god will actually explain everything that we're looking to explain here? And so that's just a move of going with the simplest explanation that actually seems to do the job. So I, I think we've come down to if you do not believe in a supernatural being that created the universe, that created life as we know it, um, logic would dictate you're in denial. Yeah, although, I mean, I might not say that to, directly to the person. I might su- gently suggest it because I don't want the person to get mad. I want to kind of help them along. Well, I, I understand but, yeah, that. At the end but of the day. I, at the end of the day, we, yeah. if we at are wrong day, in saying that, if I'm wrong in saying that, because Kirk didn't say that, mm-hmm. I said that. Mm-hmm. Logic would... <laughs> It looks like logic is dictating yeah. that you, you might be in denial. Please tell us, tell, please tell us where we're wrong. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. Pretty hard. I mean, it's, we're talking logically looks that way, that there's denial happening here. If a person just insists on not believing in a supernatural origin for the universe. All right. Well, let's end here because I think next week we've uh, we got some uh, more conversation happening around um, who created the universe and mm-hmm. and why. Yeah, we're going to get down to brass tacks next week and narrow it down. Awesome. So uh, comment, uh, leave us uh, your thoughts. Um, if you have questions that we might have skipped over, um, Please let us know uh, what your thoughts are on the stream. Don't forget to like, uh, hit subscribe, and hit the bell if you want to be notified. We'll we'll see you, um, yeah, next week, same time, uh, 11, 10 Central, 12, 10 Eastern. Mm -hmm. See you next week. Bye for now. Bye.